The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you and to be able to deliver God's word this morning uh, to you. 364 days ago, on January 1st, 2023, that was an epic building, wasn't it? That was a joke, too. All right. My resolution for you is to be happy um, and to maybe laugh at one a year. Well, 364 days ago, on January 1st, 2023, I preached a sermon out of Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount not to worry. And the Lord, in his, in his kindness and out of his abundant grace, blessed that sermon. And over the past year, I've had many people come to me to say that it really just ministered to their heart. And it's all, gives, again, gives glory to God. But here we are on New Year's Eve, and as I was given the privilege to deliver God's word and to preach today, I began to pray a couple of weeks ago about what the Lord would have me to preach on. And it just came almost like a flash of lightning to me that I needed to preach a part two of what I did almost a year ago. I'm not going to go back into Matthew chapter 6 this morning, but I want to do a part two in the sense of I feel like as we embark on the new year, and here we are on New Year's Eve, I feel like we need to be reminded one more time what God's Word says to us and how He, the Lord God Almighty, commands us not to be anxious about anything. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I pray you do, why don't you go ahead and turn over with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I trust you got one of um, my handout that's so much better than Grant's, and um, especially since he's not here. And so um, it's a great opportunity to, again, remind him of the beauty of my outline. But I'm going to make you right. You're going to have to work, which will keep you awake, like algebra class and a history class. So this will help you stay awake. But nonetheless, but we are going to be looking at a part two in Philippians chapter 4 by looking at what Paul writes to the Philippian church not to be anxious about anything. And this morning, we are going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. Everyone at some point in their life gets anxious. It's not a matter of if, but when. When I even I when I say the word anxious or anxiety, there are some in here that get anxious about being anxious. You get fearful about the word anxious. There are some of you even in this moment, there may be a fear that you have been struggling with is coming to the forefront of your mind. Some have a propensity to be anxious. Some of you right now may be in a season of anxiety. And the reality is, anxiety is one of the cruel effects of the fall. Truth be told, anxiety is more common than we think. If you were to poll yourself right now and you were able to look back on the, la on the last six days or even seven days 
of this week, I'm going to ask you a question privately. How much time was consumed in your week that you were anxious about something? It's a tough question. And the reason why I ask that, and the reason why I just leave it there for a moment for you to recall, is because of two reasons. One, when you are anxious, it's amazing how fast it floods your mind and your heart. Anxiety is like a cold shower. It quickly takes your breath away, doesn't it? This is what anxiety does. But what happens in that moment is that you, what you don't realize when you were fearful, when you were anxious, and you were worried, so much time goes by. You may be anxious for a minute. A minute leads to an hour. An hour leads to days and weeks and months. And there you have it. You've been anxious for however long, but for a long period of time in the sight of God. The second thing, the reason why I put it out there, is because we live in a, a society, we live in a culture that condones anxiety. I was reading an art, excuse me, I was looking at an advertisement a couple of weeks ago, and it said, it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be anxious. That's an advertisement. That advertisement is selling and telling you it's okay to be in an anxious state. How wrong is that? But the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, what the Bible teaches us is that anxiety is a sin. It's a sin. And I know you don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear it. Because we can all comfort ourselves by being anxious. It's amazing how nasty anxiety can do that to us. It, feel good, it feels good to be anxious. In some way, shape, or form, we think when we are anxious or when we are worried, we are in control over a situation. We feel good to be anxious about something. But what that does more than anything is those fears drive us away from the one true God. As we approach 2024, and tomorrow is the big day, my prayer for you is twofold. Number one, if you are not a Christian today, my prayer for you is that you will commit your life to Christ, that you will come to Christ today. But if you are a believer, here's my prayer for you, that you will not be anxious about tomorrow, that you will, as we will walk through Philippians chapter four, you will see the holiness of God, that you will see how big, how marvelous, how glorious the Lord God Almighty is, how Yahweh is, and that no matter what you are going through right now, or when the day comes and anxiety strikes, that you will be able to look to the hills and to see where your help comes from, and it comes from the Lord. And that's my prayer for you. This morning, we are going to be looking at six points, and I trust again that you have your outline with you. And what we are going to look at in Paul's letter to the Philippians, as we are going to see, not only does he command us not to be anxious, but in God's kindness, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord also provides the remedy on how not to be anxious. God's grace is extended to us and shows us the pathway about how not to be anxious about anything. And that's what we're going to look at this morning together. So before we get further, before we go any further, excuse me, we need to go to the Lord in prayer. Because I realize as one of the pastors of this church, anxiety is a real issue. Fear is a real issue. Worry is a real issue. 
And I know a lot of us in this room are struggling right now with this, maybe even to the point of being depressed. I understand that. And my prayer for you this morning is to see God, to see the God of the Bible. And that's my prayer for you. So let's ask him to do that now. So if you will, bow your heads with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father above, this is your word written by you. It's infallible without error. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, I pray in Philippians chapter four, allow your word to do the work in our hearts. Quiet our souls so that we can sense and feel your spirit teach us. And so that Lord, we would not be anxious about tomorrow, but have the full confidence and trust in you. We love you and we pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Before we get started, I feel like it would be very helpful for us to be able to get a, a brief background in the book of Philippians because we are jumping over three chapters and into four. So it would give us a little bit, uh, just a little bit of a better context of where we are before we jump into the fourth chapter. First of all, the letter that Paul writes here is from his hand. It is from the Apostle Paul. There's not much debate on that. But what we know is that Paul is sitting in a jail cell in Rome. And this was written around 60 A.D., Philippi is a Roman city. It's a Roman colony. It is first founded by Alexander the Great. And many years later, if you know your Roman history, after uh, Mark Antony and Octavius defeated Brutus and Cassius, pretty smart, ain't I? That, and remember, they were Julius Caesar's, uh, Caesar's assassins. They are the one that really established Philippi into be a Roman colony. And there it is Roman in every way with its architecture, its, its worship, and the whole nine yards. But we were introduced to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, where if you know your Bible and you know Acts 16, it is there where Paul is, doing the, is laboring in the gospel, and we are introduced to Lydia. She's his first convert. She opens up her house, and there you find the first. That there you find the church in Philippi, and the gospel goes forth. But there's something going on. Even though throughout this letter it's a joyful letter, it's a friendly letter, it's anchored in thanksgiving. There's dissension. There's disunity going on. There is persecution for the faith, and other things that are taking place in the context for the church in Philippi. And Paul is writing to them to encourage them and, their, and to, to walk with the Lord and to continue to be faithful. Because, like I said, this is a joyful letter. It's all scattered throughout the entire book. Paul, over and over and over again, thanks the Lord for what the church in Philippi is doing. He's thanking them for their faithfulness, how they provide for him. They actually send provision and money to him while he is in jail. And we see that all throughout the book of Philippians. And that gives you a little context of where we are this morning so that we can understand chapter four better. So let's dive in. Let's look with me at our first point. And again, I trust you have your outline with you. And let's see what Paul says here, starting in verse 4, and which is the command to rejoice in the Lord. Let me read God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. When you are anxious, the last thing in the world you want to do is to rejoice. Let's be honest. 
The last thing you want to do is to rejoice in the Lord. One of my favorite movies is Apollo 13. And if you ever watched that movie, you know there's a part in there where the three astronauts, Jim Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swagger, you remember Jack is trying to crack a joke after the explosion had taken place. And the other two astronauts just bark at him. They're angry at him. The last thing they want to do is to hear a joke or even laugh or to be joyful in that stressful situation. And the same thing is true when you're anxious. The last thing in the world you want to hear someone to say, hey, be joyful. You know, it's like rubbing, you know, salt in a wound. But the reality is, is this. Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. The word study of rejoice gives us a better context of why he is saying that. And I would encourage you to write this down because this helps us to set the stage for the remedy on how not to be anxious about anything. Because when you study the word rejoice in the Greek, it means that I am glad or to be glad, which makes you back up for a second and to ask, what am I to be glad in? I'm glad you asked. A further study of the word, as a, and when you dig deep into the root of it, means to be favorably, to be disposed, leaning towards something that is favorable. Okay, let's ask the question again. What am I leaning towards? What's favorable in my life? Again, when you break down the word, it has a close connection to the word grace. The word is also an imperative, which means it's a command. So when you lay the word out on a table like a Thanksgiving spread, what you find is that Paul is writing that we are to be favorably leaning towards and in God's grace. That's what makes us rejoice. When you think about the favor and the kindness of the Lord that has been extended to you. That's what we rejoice in. That's when joy is set within your heart because now you are pointing your eyes and your heart on the Lord. Because again, remember the context. At this time, Paul is writing to friends that are not in unity with one another. We see that in chapter 4, verse 2, when he says to Eudia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. There's also false teaching and other things taking place. So that helps you to be able to set the context. But then... After all that is taking place, what a fascinating thing to say to somebody. Even though persecution is taking place and disunity, I'm telling you to rejoice in the Lord. Even in your current situation, rejoice in the Lord. Be favorable in leaning into God's grace. The command to be joyful. And we see it again throughout all of this letter in in Philippians. It's consumed with it. Paul rejoices in the Lord that the gospel is going out, even though he's in prison. He says it in chapter 1, verse 18. He's joyful in prayer for them in chapter 1, verse 4. He's joyful that they are the same mindset, that they are committed together in the gospel in chapter 2, verse 2. But all of it, look with me, in verse 4, is rejoice in the Lord. Joy can only be anchored in God himself. Because if you look at joy based upon what the world says, you know that's only going to last for a split second. Worldly pleasures and things that make you happy based upon the world's terms will only be for a split second, and they are here today and gone tomorrow. But joy in the Lord, looking at God's grace that has been extended to you, that is what you can set your heart, because that has an eternal purpose and reaps eternal dividends. It's all anchored in the Lord. 
Paul is setting the stage as you begin to see the remedy on how not to be anxious being rolled out. He, you are help, you, Paul is helping us to see that it is God who is putting the lens of our, of our focus, our worldview and perspective, that everything comes from the Lord. And in him we rejoice, despite being anxious about tomorrow. And that is why he rejoices. And Paul also knows his Bible. He knows that the Bible is replete about rejoicing in the Lord. Psalm 97, verse 1, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Psalm 97, 1. One of the great hymns we sing here at Capitol is Rejoice the Lord is King. It's one of my favorite hymns to sing. Remember, it says, Rejoice the Lord is King, your Lord a King adore. Do you remember the refrain? Lift up your heart, lift up your voice, rejoice again, I say, rejoice. To be joyful, it is anchored in the grace and the loving kindness of our Lord. It is joy that realizes that we have been reconciled to God all through the cross. It is joy that we are called sons and daughters before the triune God all because of Christ. It is joy because he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, from God's wrath, and brought us into his marvelous light. And that is why Paul says it twice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And that sets the stage to see in this remedy, this prescription on how not to be anxious to our second point. Look with me in verse 5. Our second point shows us gentleness is the mark of a joyful heart. Look with me in verse 5. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. If you are joyful in the Lord, you are going to be reasonable, as the ESV says. That's what I'm reading out of. Many other translations say gentleness. And I'm going to, for the remainder of this sermon, going to use the word gentle because I believe that helps us convey the point. But gentleness means suitable. It means equitable, fair, mild. When we are rejoicing in the Lord and we recount his grace that he has given to us and we realize what he has saved us from and you realize the joy of the Lord is your strength, gentleness is going to be an attribute that you are going to have. You are going to be mild. You are going to be fair and equitable. You're going to be meek. Gentleness is a mark that we find not only here in Philippians 4, but Paul commands all Christians to be gentle in Titus chapter 3, verse 2. Avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Gentleness is actually a mark if you're going to be a leader in the church, if you're going to be an elder, not to be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. And I am gentle like a lamb, if I'd say so myself. But you laugh at that one. Anyway, but there are, the Bible is replete for the command to be gentle. We see a prime example of it in Luke chapter 10 with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Look what he did to care for that man who was beaten on the side of the road, cared for him. And gentleness is also seen in Galatians chapter 5 verse 23. It's a mark of the fruit of the Spirit. To be gentle, being meek and mild, to be equitable, all comes again from being anchored in the Lord. You are not going to be gentle, and your gentleness is not going to be known to everyone unless you put it in the right perspective and, and see that the gentleness and the kindness of God has been extended to you to believe in his Son as Lord and Savior. 
And where am I getting that? Jesus says it himself in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus, his gentleness, be extended to you in order to believe and for you to, sh- to carry and to act upon that same attribute of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of times we see that word equity and equitable all, all the time now. The woke crowd has destroyed what that really means. You know, when you look at it in this day and age, the world says equity means you've got to accept everything and all things. That's not true. It's false. When you look at it in the Bible, you have to understand gentleness to be meek and to mild comes from someone who's extended meek to who is meek and mild to you. It's pointing you back to the Savior. I was once talking to a man many years ago who was just in a very bad place in his life. And in this story, as he was telling me that this guy shared the gospel with him and how this man helped him turn his life really upside down in a good way, put his life back on the right track, here's what he said to him. He said, you know, I'll never forget these words. He said, not only did he share the gospel with me and I came to faith, but he was gentle towards me. He was gentle towards me. And that's where you find yourself. That's where you need to understand that all comes from the Lord God himself. Now you may be asking, asking a question. How does gentleness help us not to be anxious? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you were gentle, when you were meek and you're mild, you are beginning to take the lens off of yourself and put on the Lord. Gentleness is a selfless attribute. You can't be gentle and kind to somebody if you were consumed with anxiety. It just ain't going to happen. Sorry, just not going to happen. There's no way for you to extend favor to somebody if you are riddled down with anxiety. But when you realize, again, the loving grace of our Lord, and that affects your heart, you're naturally going to be disposed to want to help people, to show grace and favor to them. And out of that gentleness, Paul moves on to show us that the Lord is at hand, or maybe in your translation it says that the Lord is near. What a word of encouragement to come from the God himself. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The New Testament often uses the Lord is near or at hand to bring in a moment or, or, or to bring encouragement to the church. James chapter 5, verse 8 says, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There is no greater assurance to know that the Lord is present and active in your life and sovereign over everything. Paul In chapter 3 in Philippians, in verse 21, says, By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's amazing. It's amazing and beautiful comfort to know that you are not alone. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. I remember my dad told me when he was stationed in Korea, he was in the Air Force for a little while, but I remember one time when he was away from his family and the whole nine yards, he was there on Christmas Day in Korea all by himself. And he said, I just, it was the worst Christmas ever because I was alone. Being alone is a horrible feeling, isn't it? You don't like it. You find you're almost, almost shaking your boots, so to speak, to try to be able to connect with somebody. 
or to be able to be with someone. But we're not alone. If you are a believer, the Lord God himself is present and active in your life. It's just like in wartime when you hear the term, the cavalry is coming. Or I've always loved, as many of you know, I love war history and I love studying about World War II. And I love it when Winston Churchill, when he got news from FDR that the U.S. is going to come and to join him in battle in Europe in World War II, right after Pearl Harbor. Remember what Churchill said? I can't describe the feeling of relief to which I find. And he says, it's incredible and I thank God. The Lord is at hand. And the presence of the Lord is key in understanding how you're going to win the battle over anxiety. Because I say that because when anxiety and fear, when they strike, what it does is it robs you of the holy. It steals your knowledge of the Bible within a split second. But when you rejoice in God and when you're mild and meek and gentle to all and know in your heart that God is active and present in your life, you are going to have strength to overcome the Lord will give you the strength to overcome. Not in your own effort, but in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was there in Genesis chapter 1 creating the world. That is active in your life. God is not absent. It's not like the Time Magazine article in 1966 that said, is God dead? No, he is not. He has always existed. He is self-sufficient. He is the great I am. And he is in the midst of your fears, even now. He knows about them. He knows about him, which leads us to our third point. The command not to be anxious. So you're rejoicing in the Lord, and there out of your joy in the Lord, you're showing gentleness to others, and now this is where the doctor gives you that nasty-tasting medicine. The command not to be anxious. See the flow? Again, everything is anchored in the Lord. Never forget that. And Paul in verse 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul in verse 6 starts off with an emphatic imperative, Do not. This is not a warning. This is not a suggestion. This is a command from God himself. Do not be anxious. When you hear the words, do not, there's like a temptation that comes to your mind, especially when you were struggling with this. Because you can easily begin to think, well, that's, it's okay to be a little anxious about something. It gives me comfort to be anxious. But that's not what the Bible says. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Or, as the New King James or the NASB have, says, or you may have that, it says, be anxious for nothing. Nothing or anything means Nothing or anything. There is nothing God says about anything you need to be anxious about. You like that word salad for you? Nothing. And Jesus commands the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The Bible has over 365 times where it says, fear not. And the reason why we need to understand the sin of anxiety and how bad it really is, because when, again, when you begin you, to do a word study on the word anxious, it is from the Greek word meromano, which the, derives from the root to be a part, a part, or as opposed to a whole. It means to be drawn in opposite directions, to be divided into parts or distracted. The Oxford Dictionary defines it as this, a state of uneasiness, 
accompanied by uh, dysphoria, somatic signs and symptoms of tension, focus on apprehension of possible failure, misfortune, or danger. I said this in my sermon just about a year ago in Matthew chapter 6, but I love the German, how the way that the Germans describe anxiety. They say it chokes out or smothers you, and that's what it does. Anxiety distracts us. It divides us. The last time I saw, our bodies cannot be in, in two places at the same time. If our bodies can't be divided into half, what makes you think your soul can? We are not polytheists. We don't believe in multiple gods. We believe in the one true God, Yahweh, the Alpha and the Omega. It's just like a fork in a road. You can't go down both roads. You've got to pick one. You can't, and you have to pick one. And the issue is this. When anxiety strikes, it distracts you. It pulls you into so many different ways, and it always does. Because the reality of what happens when anxiety strikes is this. When you, begin, when you become anxious, what happens next is probably you get angry. And out of your anger comes jealousy maybe, or lust, or covetousness or greed, and it's like a domino effect, and it sweeps you away within a split second. But the reality is you don't see that sin unfold right before your eyes. You don't see the danger that takes place when you become anxious about something. I was reading in a medical journal out of Northwestern University. Pretty scary that I was reading a medical journal, isn't it? But I was. Here's some interesting facts about fear. Fear is a good and a bad thing. One, it can keep you from danger. It, your body can produce in you the fight or flight in, where you want to fight for something or flight or get out of there. But fear, when is it experienced in your mind, trigger, triggers a strong physical reaction. Your nervous system kicks in. Your fear's, respon your fear's response motion kicks in. Stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline are released. Your blood pressure and your heart rate increases. You breathe faster. And all those things begin to take place. And there you're either going to run for your life or you're going to begin throwing punches. But here's something else that happens. As some parts of your brain are revving up, others are shutting down. When the amygdala, I may be pronouncing that wrong, senses fear, the cerebral cortex, the area of your brain that harnesses reasoning and judgment becomes impaired, becomes impaired. And so now it's difficult to make good decisions or to even think clearly. See the danger that can unfold when you're anxious? And it happens within an instant. And the Philippian Christians, even in the midst of persecution and suffering and hardship, though they are anxious and distressed, Paul understands their emotion. He understands it can quickly happen for us to be worried about something. But even though times are bad, Paul says this, stop it. Stop it. And that's what the Bible tells us. Do not stop it. Stop being anxious. And I know that may come off course. Very, I mean, very hard to say, but don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. He's the one that's saying it. Don't be anxious about anything, he says, or for nothing. I want to show you an example of just the, the damage it can unfold in Luke chapter 10. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 10 with me. And I want you to turn to... I'm going to start back in verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I want you to see a prime example of this. Luke chapter 10, 
This is right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, as they went out on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she, sat her, and she had her sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I want you to look at these two examples with me. Number one, Martha is distracted, disattracted. From what? From Jesus. She's troubled and anxious, Jesus says. Mary, what does Jesus say? She has chosen the good portion. And then he says, it's necessary. This is a need. This is not a want. This is necessary for Mary and Martha, by the way. She has chosen the good portion to sit at the Lord's feet. And when he says that will not be taken away from her, what he's talking about, it's reaping eternal benefits. This will never be taken away. The teaching from the Lord there in her house will never, ever depart from her because it's going to, be, it's going to transform her. That's what Jesus is saying here. But the reality is this. Do you see what Martha is missing? She's missing from sitting at the Lord's feet. And ladies and gentlemen, do you realize what you are missing when you are anxious? Do you realize how much the good that you miss on the day-to-day of your life? So much time is wasted, and you can miss so much. But most importantly, not only can you miss good fellowship with your family and your friends, but the good portion what you can miss is you miss fellowship with the eternal God. That's what you miss. You don't realize it, and you may not even think about it, but that's what Jesus is showing us here in Luke chapter 10. And that's the problem with Mary, excuse me, with Martha. She's disattracted from Jesus. And that's what happens when you are anxious. I know you may be asking yourself, you can turn back to Philippians 4. Kenny, you don't know my situation. I don't. But Kenny, you don't know the season of life I'm in. I don't. I'm also not saying this. It's not sinful to be concerned about something. But when your concerns begin to split you into two and you feel yourself pulled away and you know the difference between concern and anxiety and when you give way to anxiety, that's when you're in sin. And that's when the the domino effect begins to happen because here's really what takes place. Like we saw with Martha. Steve Lawson says this, worry is the failure to believe the promises of God and his word. God is not worried. Why should you? Again, to go back to Matthew 6, if God clothes the flowers and allows them to bloom and the birds always find grass to feed themselves, don't you think that God is going to provide every need that you have? Which leads us to our fourth point. The remedy to anxiety is prayer. So notice right here connected with it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
So do not be anxious comes through prayer. Paul first starts off with a negative. Don't be anxious about anything or nothing. And then the second half of verse 6, he starts off with a positive. But in everything. So Paul commands the Christians in Philippi to pray. And there's threefold synonyms that he uses for prayer. He uses prayer, supplications, and requests. When you look at the word prayer, that's usually a generic term for communion with God or being interceding for others. The second one, when he talks about supplications, the word there means to lack something. So therefore, you bring what you lack before God. And then requests is just bringing anything, naming specific items to him. But notice again what's anchored the in prayer, thanksgiving. The common theme that we see throughout this letter, to be thankful. Paul wants the positive and the joyful focus on who the Lord is to be in the midst of our praying. Because what Thanksgiving does, similar to like being gentle, it begins to peel back the onion from your own eyes and to be able to be able to, to see the Lord. When you are joyful, excuse me, and you are thankful, what quickly happens is that those anxieties dissolve pretty fast. Because you be, you, I know for a fact you can list far more things that you are thankful for than you are fearful for. I'm willing to bet you that if you really think about it including I know you're thankful for me. And so that's, that should be number one. That's a joke. But that's what Thanksgiving does. Carl Barth, commenting on this verse, says this, when you begin by praising God for the fact that in this situation, i.e. anxiety, as it is, he so mightily is God. And such a beginning is the end of anxiety. Thanksgiving puts us in the right perspective on, on who God is. Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 how to pray. You remember the first thing he says, hallowed be your name. When you are in reverence before the Lord, you are thankful for him. When we are not thankful for God in prayer, we give ourselves over to nothing but empty talk. We have to be thankful. Paul, again, is scattered throughout this letter of being thankful for the Philippians. He's thankful that they are in the same mind. He's thankful and he's asking for the Lord to put their minds on the Holy One. He's thankful that the Lord is going to preserve their faith unto the end, as he says in chapter 1, verse 6, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it into the completion of the day of Christ Jesus. And that is the way you find anxiety, is prayer. I know when you hear this, that may not be once you, the antidote that you wanted to hear, but that's exactly what the Bible says. Prayer. When we are anxious, we get stir-crazy, don't we? We want to be able to do things or do something to get us out of that anxious tendency. But Paul tells us to stop and to pray. Honest question. What makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? Whatever comes to your mind in that split second, pray to God now about it and often. And do it again and again and again. Rinse and repeat over and over and over again. One of the verses that I memorized when I was, a few years ago, when I was going through a season of anxiety and depression was Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Write that down. It is, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. When your mind is on the Lord God Almighty, quickly diffuses those anxious tendencies. We don't hold the future. 
God does. And so that is why we have to go to him in prayer. And when you pray, you are open and you are dependent on him. And if you're not praying, guess what? It's a great New Year's resolution. Start now. If, if you are not in a habit of prayer, cultivate habits of prayer. You don't have to have necessarily in the moment Puritan-like prayers that shake down the earth. If you ever read the Puritans, it makes you never want to pray again, especially when you're me, guys like you know Matthew Henry and, the, and those guys. And I need, I know Jonathan Edwards is on the tail end of it, but you know the guys like that. Man, it really makes you be able to. Man, man, man I'm, am I even saved? But the reality is this: just talk to God. Just talk to Him, and you'll be amazed within a split second. Hey, not to be anxious. Peace comes over you. And that's exactly what takes place. Look with me in point five. The peace, the God of peace gives you peace. Verse seven, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding regards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because when your mind is stayed on God and you are praying to him, Paul says you are given the peace of God. And this peace transcends all all of your understanding because the attribute of God, his peace, his nature is given to you when you are praying. Isn't that amazing? That God's nature is given to you when you are praying. And when it's given to you through the means of prayer, it transcends what you comprehend and understand. You ever been in that moment? I have. When even though the troubles are right in front of me, and the seas are billowing right over top of each other. It is amazing how confident you can walk in the season that you are in, the trouble that you're in, with confidence, not in yourself, but in the Lord God. It's a peace that you can't be, begin to explain like the Bible says. Why? Because God is peace. He's the God of peace, as Paul says in Romans 16:20. Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. We see peace coming from Paul oftentimes. It, it, is, it is always connected with being reconciled to God, having peace with God. And that is exactly right. We have peace with God all because of the cross. And through that gift and because of our faith, when we pray, God's nature of peace, tranquility, calm, harmony is given to us. And never forget in this Christmas season, remember how Jesus described in Isaiah 9, he is the prince of, prince of peace. Alex Motera commenting on this verse in Philippians says this, our lives will be touched with the mark of the supernatural, something that surpasses all understanding. The meaning here is not something, something mysterious or incomprehensible has happened in its own right, but of something which man cannot explain or explain away something which runs far beyond the range of human comprehension. It's very similar to the Lord is at hand. It brings you great comfort. And there when you pray, look what it says. It, the Lord will guard your heart. It's a military term that he is going to protect your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And again, all of it is found in Christ. John 14, 27 reminds us, that Jesus is our peace, as he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Anxiety blocks 
Prayer blocks anxiety and gives us peace, and then it opens our minds to dwell on the holy. And there is our last point, very briefly, point six. When we are rejoicing in the Lord, when we are gentle, we know that he is at hand, we would not be anxious because we were in prayer. And when we are prayer, in praying to the Holy One, our mind and our hearts are dwelling on his holiness. Paul says there in verses 8 9, finally, brothers. And there when he lists out whatever is true and honorable and just and pure, and there's anything excellent of praise, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There it is, the God of peace. These are the attributes of God that we are supposed to think about. What's true? John 17, 7, your word is truth. Psalm 19, 19, your judgments are true. God's word is true. R.C. Sproul says it's best that all truth is God's truth. And where do we find it? In the word of God. This is where God's truth is revealed to us. You ever thought about that for a second? That God and his grace towards us has given us a book that teaches about himself and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the means necessary to learn about a deity? Isn't that amazing to think about? The question is, are you opening this book? Are you reading it? Are you meditating on it? And are you obeying it? The second thing he says is, is honorable. Worthy of respect, give weight to. And then he says just. That is thinking on the righteousness of God. It's having thoughts that is based upon his standard and what is true. He says pure, which means holy, undefiled, clean. We see this charge given to, Paul, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5 to keep yourself pure. Honest question, are your thoughts pure? Are they holy? Are they undefiled? Because let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, so often anxiety starts right here in the mind. Your thoughts will take you further than you want to go. So be careful about what you think about because it will show up in word and deed. I guarantee you. And then he says, what is lovely? It's a mark of the fruit of the Spirit. What is lovely is the gospel. It's John 15, 13. Greater love has known than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. And then he says, finally, whatever is worthy of praise is the summation of the attributes of God. That's what we are to think about. What is worthy of praise? Your salvation. That's what's worthy of praise. Your life. The fact that God has given you the ability to breathe and have a heartbeat, be thankful for that. Think about your daily graces that God has given you. The fact that you have clothes on your back. The that you have food. The list is endless of his daily grace that he has given to you, and that is worthy of praise. What else is worthy of praise is God's mercy and his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And keeping our minds on God will keep us away from being burdened about the worries and the cares of this world. And here it is, ladies and gentlemen, it's clear and plain and simple. We are to practice these things. Practice. Repetition is good for the soul because it reminds us over and over again of the holiness of God. So you need to think, you need to meditate. As you're setting New Year's resolutions, I know many of you are saying, I'm gonna be a better financial steward. I'm gonna get my health in line. Those are good things. 
but do you have resolutions set on the eternal? If you're not praying, pick up prayer. If you're not in your Bible, get in the Bible. And out of that, meditate on God's word. And then that will transform your heart. And in times of trouble, that will help you not to be anxious. In closing, I'd like to say this. As the new year lands tonight at midnight, don't go to bed anxious. Don't go to bed anxious. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow's tomorrow. And don't be anxious about even 100 tomorrows from today. The Lord is sovereign. There is nothing that takes place in this universe that he is not ordained to be. And my prayer for you, Christian, is that you would take great peace in that. And to know that the God of the universe, even in the midst of being in a boat that you feel like is being tossed to and fro, he is good. He is sovereign. My prayer for you is that you rejoice in the Lord, that you would keep your mind stayed on him, and that you would know that he is near, and that you would dwell on his attributes, and in that will bring him glory, and that will rid your heart and mind from being anxious. Let's pray. Eternal Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. As the new year unfolds here in just a few hours, Lord, I pray that you will help us not to be anxious about tomorrow. God, I pray that you will help us to look to you, our maker, our redeemer, and help us that maybe some of us in this room are anxious about today. They're anxious now. Lord, help them to see the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But Lord, when the troubles come and anxieties rise, Lord, help us to look to you. Father, we love you, and we pray all these things in the good name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.